This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And hey, everybody. I'm Jake Lancaster. I am an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, today we are so incredibly honored to have Dr. Jeff Rose from Atrium Health. Dr. Rose, not only welcome to the podcast, but if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and and your role within Atrium Health. Well, thanks so much, uh, Skip. It's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to be on the podcast today. Um, so my name is Jeff Rose. I'm a cardiologist. I'm an echocardiographer by training and I'm with Atrium uh, Health and Sanger Heart and Vascular Institute, uh, which is located principally in the Charlotte, North Carolina region. And um, I've had a variety of roles since uh, being part of the organization uh, from um, running the Echo Lab to being Chief of Cardiology. And now my responsibilities uh, are for uh, the service line. I serve as the president of the Sanger Heart and Vascular Institute and the enterprise service line leader for uh, cardiovascular medicine for Atrium Health. Dr. Rose, uh, once again, thank you very much for uh, being here. And um, when we have physicians on the on the podcast, we like to to hear a little bit about their story, and in particular about how they got involved with continuous improvement. You know, most of us when we went to medical school and went through residency and fellowship, we we had no idea that that we would end up being passionate about quality and continuous improvement. And just tell us a little bit about, about your story. Sure thing. So, you know, it really started as I entered into clinical practice coming out of fellowship and had the responsibility of um, running the Echo Lab for the organization, which was, you know, an order of magnitude smaller, you know, 20 years ago. And this was right at the time that accreditation was starting to take hold, voluntary accreditation for imaging modalities. Vascular medicine had been first, and it was quickly followed by echocardiography. And, you know, that's my field of, you know, professional interest and endeavor. And I became intrigued slash obsessed with the question of, you know, how do we, what are we good at? How do we know? And what are we doing to get better? Just those three simple things. And, you know, just take an echo report that you read every day. And someone tells you that that ejection fraction is 45 to 50%. Says who? How do we know? Did the phone ring when the person was reading the study and they got distracted and now that's gospel? You know, what are our systems that we actually have in place? I mean, we're... We're human beings and we're fallible, yet, you know, our currency is the, the, the caliber of the information, you know, it's, it's accuracy, it's extent, it's breadth. And so it really becomes a systems issue, not a people issue, yet we tend to make it a people issue if somebody blew it on this, that, or the other in terms of a report, rather than thinking about the systems we have in place. So I had an opportunity to become involved with um, what is now the uh, Intersocietal Accreditation Commission, which looks at quality in a variety of different vascular 
areas and, and now some procedural areas as well. And really, you know, became acquainted with sort of the Donabadian methodology for, for looking at, you know, structure process outcome for really understanding what we do. And, and again, I think it highlights um, to your point, the, the gap that as we train, so much of it is about us as individuals and our individual competency, you know, if not hopefully moving on to proficiency, but at a system level, what are the checks and balances that we have? And I'm a strong believer that we as providers need to own that. This should not be a regulatory external function, but this should really come from within. It should really be part of our you know, commitment as professionals to always wanting to be better. That, that, that's fascinating and, and kind of aligns with a project that I'm working on currently. Um, you know, when normally when I think about cardiology, when I think about echoes or other cath reports, I imagine them to be fairly standard. Um, and we're in the process right now of trying to align all of our physicians, our cardiologists across the system that read uh, certain reports onto a different uh, a new platform that has more structure to it and less. Um, and, and so we're discovering all the different ways that are out there about how a cardiologist can read an echo or a, um, you know, a dictated cath report and trying to get that all into one one standardized template. Uh, can you can you talk about just um, how varied I guess the in, in your experience cardiology um, reports can be? I, I don't think everybody understands the the different complexities or, or the different variation that's out there. I know as a general surgeon, I certainly don't. <laughs> well, I, you know, I mean, I think that there's this sense that like a 12 lead EKG that something's just going to come out, you know, roped in some kind of way with some bullet points. But, you know, echoes uh, and it's not, of course, limited echocardiography. It applies to the cath lab. It applies to, you know, many, many endeavors, even outside of cardiology. But we we quickly we, we haven't fully transitioned from the old days of a report where someone would pick up a dictaphone and just sort of wax poetic about what he or she thought or saw and really systematically incorporating a structure to the approach. And, and I think, just to be clear, I think that there's need and room for both. Right, I mean, the, the left atrial dimension is the left atrial dimension. There's it just is. Now, hopefully we're measuring it correctly and capturing the image right and reporting it correctly. Now, what it means to have an enlarged left atrium in the context of other findings on the report is really the knowledge work that we want the reader to put together to help the surgeon understand what the risk will be of this particular patient undergoing a long anesthetic run, for example. So I, I think the best of both worlds are really to standardize that which can be standardized, and that is in language, and that is in, you know, detail, and um, our professional societies weigh in on this all the time, whether, again, it's in echocardiography or many, many other disciplines about what ought to be in the report because it conveys meaningful clinical information. Beyond that, then it really comes down to the um, the skill level, the art of the of the reader to convey more information, and I think Again, just as in every other endeavor in life, we know that there's going to be a spectrum of what I say from competency to proficiency to mastery, right? And 
you know, we all fall somewhere along that that belt and, and we aspire to gravitate towards the, the mastery side with time. But the only way we can do that is by having some kind of structure and some kind of feedback. And that all dovetails right back into where we started, which is having a disciplined approach to quality improvement. Jeff, as we, you know, we've we've been in this pandemic for gosh, a year and a half or more, and and we thought we were we thought we were coming out of it, and here we are again, right back in the in the middle of it. And you know, they say that 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 mother, I mean necessity is mother of invention. And I know that you did a lot of work at Atrium with y'all's y'all in Charlotte with y'all's COVID response and, and and things like that. What what lessons should we as healthcare providers and as healthcare systems should we take away from this pandemic when it comes to improvement in quality and lean thinking when we get out of this, when we get out of this pandemic, which hopefully, hopefully we will. And we will. We will, but it's, it's a great question. And I think that there's, there's, there's many lessons, but I think the first one would be, is if we don't embrace some of the things we've learned when we come out, then the pandemic will have been a double tragedy, right? It has been a, a, a tragedy of tremendous proportions. The likes we hope we never will ever have to live through again, but it would made, be compounded and made worse if we don't learn from what we, from the experience. Right? And, and what do we learn? Um, you know, I, I say, you know, COVID in many respects is a crucible of what really we need to be doing or not doing, right? So, for example, the early embracing of telehealth, right, in terms of being able to be able to remain in contact with our patients. Now, don't get me wrong. We need face-to-face visits. We need that human connection and so forth. But I would submit that when I see a new patient for hypertension and start that patient appropriately on medications, and that patient needs a visit in two weeks for follow-up, does that really need to be in my office? Does that patient really need to have his or her family member take a day off from work to drive them in and park and come in and gown and see me for that encounter? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, And we've learned this. We learned that we could be effective in advancing care without everything having to be face-to-face. Well, now, as we already saw with the first um, waning of the pandemic, we were seeing how quickly we were getting back to old habits and making everybody ceremoniously come in, even while we still had a lot of the same protections, you know, from a billing and other sort of regulatory standpoint that were there. But we were just going back to old habits because that's what was comfortable and that's what was expected. And so I I think telehealth is an important, you know, example of this. And, you know, again, back to my field of echocardiography, um, not every patient in the hospital needs a complete echocardiogram. Now, if I said that 10 years ago, I'd be tarred and feathered by somebody, but I think everybody is realizing that, you know, that there's a role for a goal-directed echocardiogram around specific limited clinical indications, and and particularly in an environment of the hospital where, um, you know, resources are strained, and, you know, obviously with 
the early phases of COVID when nobody was vaccinated, we had protection issues for our staff and, you know, and, and so forth. But what we learned was, you know, there, we can take a tailored approach to care under certain environments. That is not to be confused by one size fits all, right? But that's too often we gravitate towards that sort of false dichotomy. It either has to be this or that when there are many, many fractal spaces in between. And as, as clinicians, we know this implicitly, but our systems of care and the regulatory environments don't appreciate that quite as much. And, and that's gotta be our major takeaway from this because when all is said and done, after we get through the pandemic, we still will be facing monumental challenges. You know, the, the point that we bring up continuously um, in 2020, we entered with 61 million on Medicare nationally. By 2030, it's over 80 million. Now, people are struggling today with how we're taking care of today's population with today's workforce. There is no workforce coming over the next nine years, right, in terms of training and so forth to take care of this actuarial reality that's mm -hmm. happening. So, you know, we don't need a faster horse. We need the horseless carriage. We need something different. But we're going to have to be the ones who are going to figure out what that is and put that in place and and put the quality systems around it. Because otherwise, um, you know, we, we, you know, we, we will have, um, you know, difficulty taking care of the patients who need to be taken care of. In fact, we'll have de facto rationing of care because if you get to me, you will get care, but good luck getting to me because the barriers are just going to be that much higher. And the same for for you and, and the same for our listeners on the podcast. Yep. So earlier in the day, Skip, HF and I were having a conversation with the group about uh, waste in healthcare and about how we've just, you know, grown so much to not even notice it. Um, it's just so rampant. Um, cardiology has done a great job in some respects at reducing ways. I, I think particularly about the, the door to balloon time and how that's you know, been reduced dramatically over the years. What, what other areas of waste do you see and, and what, what sort of uh, solutions have you found for reducing it in your area? Well, you know, um, uh, Dr. Berwick likes to, you know, use the comment is, is waste just so marbled into what we do that you can't sort of get it you need some sort of emulsifying agent because at every step along the way and there's so many dimensions to that question i'll just give you one quick one for example so we're going through a project right now in terms of our electronic medical record and everybody's got to complain about the emr so i'm not, I'm not piling onto that jake but, you don't but, get many but, of those complaints do you <laughs> but i think but, i get them from all over the country <laughs> But the issue Sorry. that is uniquely American, right? Because these are systems, right? And these are systems that are used in other parts of the world, yeah. right? But we're all familiar with Noteblow, right? We're all familiar with everything's there, but good luck finding it because it's just, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. And the, the statistic that I got recently was something to the effect of the number of characters in an office note for a cardiologist in the U.S. is in the you know, 5,000 range and the number for cardiologists in Australia is like in the 800 range. Now, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not working a, I'm on a similar, a... sorry, I, I was just gonna, I work on a similar project and the number I heard was that the American notes 
are three times longer than the rest of the world's nodes that are on you know the same EMR. And that is that has grown over the last 10 years. Ours continue to get longer. Um, so yeah, go and, on. Sorry, and sorry to interrupt. I'm not a scholar on you know various health systems, but my bias is, is that care in Australia is pretty good. And I don't think that they're stinting on their notes and convey, you know, taking the shortcut in, in relaying information. But there's an example of waste, right? Because that's now more time. Now, whether that's, you know, providers, physicians, APPs, and so forth after hours or on the clock, or the patient that's not getting seen because it takes just takes more time that we're you know, so as I said, there's so many dimensions to this, but I think it does come back to a little bit where we started. And that is standardization, right? And there's there's a quote to some effect that says standardization is not the loss of autonomy. It is the embracing of excellence in the beginning for further improvement. And it's what it is. You know, it, it's not about cookbook medicine. Um, it's it how we how we approach different problems. There can be different ways to uh, perform procedures but they're bounded by something, right? And, and we've learned this in materials management. We don't need to have, you know, 20 different things on the shelf. We can probably have four um, for most cases, and that's gonna equate to, you know, savings at, at some level. We can have standard templates for how we organize our clinics so that we can have appropriate staffing so that we're not um, out of sync there in terms of those particular costs. and. You know, I mean, if we just look at it with a keen eye at every step along the way, to me, that's the that's the beginning of the way to be able to trim out, you know, what is thought to be about 30% of the total cost. And when you're talking about, you know, healthcare in the, you know, now $3.2 trillion range or some crazy number like that, this is a considerable amount. Dr. Rose, let me uh, kind of go back to something you said, because I think you hit on something really important there that, you know, we had John Shook, if you're familiar with him uh, on the podcast several months back, and he talked about respecting and thinking and valuing the work itself. And what I have noticed as a someone that's not clinical, but whether it be with nursing or whether it be with different technologists, there's this conversation going on about a national shortage a national shortage of nurses, a national shortage of lab technologists, a national shortage of you, you fill in the blank. I don't believe that's going to get better uh, necessarily just by us wanting it to be better. And there's so many other industries that have figured out we're going to have to think about the work and how do we fundamentally alter it. Uh, I was talking to a professional uh, a leader the other day and they said, you know, the nurse ratio of eight to one. It's terrible. And I said, well, what if we made eight to one feel like four to one? And so it's a, it's a different mindset. Am I, am I kind of going down the same path that you're thinking of there? Well, yes, I mean, so absolutely. So I think standardization is one element because when you standardize, then you can begin to delegate specific tasks to the most appropriate team member, right? So for example, we have a, a project that we started now called hypertension boot camp. And what happens is I'm seeing the patient in the office, blood pressure's high, it's you know, it's been high before, it's it's time to start treatment, but now we got to get to goal. 
and how are we going to get there? And do you really need to see me to adjust the lisinopril dose up or to do this? That? No, we can have protocols and we can employ cardiovascular pharmacists at a fraction of the cost of a physician to begin to manage a whole population of folks to get them to where they need to be in goal. And now that has just freed me up to do something else, right? When, when if you step outside of medicine and look back in, we're the most under leveraged field amongst our professional peers, okay? I mean, think about investment banking, think about law, think about, just go, to, go down the list and think about the knowledge work that the physician provider is doing and the non-knowledge work that the physician provider is doing, right? Would you run your investment bank and have your, you know, partner in your investment banking firm um, typing the note and, you know, I mean, I'll just go through all the things that we do, right? So in some respects, you know, we're, we're technicians when we're doing procedures and we need to be, you know, master at that. So that which should take an hour doesn't routinely take two hours because we know what we're doing and we've got, you know, we, we have no sort of folks, um, again, just sort of um, uh, cherry picking here and there and spring, you know, we really want deep expertise in our technical disciplines. But as it pertains to the care itself, we're, we, we are as providers, we are knowledge workers, but we're managing ourselves as line workers. And that is fundamentally flawed. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that in RV-based compensation. We're seeing that in, you know, so many other, and, and I think it's one of the major drivers of burnout, right? Because, you know, sure. the institutional scholars on that will talk about that, you know, sense of purpose, autonomy, and mastery, right? Those are the three things that we need to sustain us. Um, once we have the baseline conditions of a, you know, positive work environment and compensation that's fair, the things that will drive us are those elements of being able to make a difference, be able to pursue excellence, and have some measure of autonomy. But most systems that I see actually have that in conflict, and it's because we really haven't addressed it, and we haven't taken away the part that can be standardized and put it into its right domain. You know, a story I tell all the time is when I first began practice, at the end of the day, whenever I would get back to my office, because I always made it back to my office, my desk, this is, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I would go there because I knew there would be a stack of charts. And I knew in that stack of charts were going to be all the patients who had their, at the time, their PT drawn, which became an INR for their Coumadin. And what did I want to do about it? Now, that might be 7 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night that I got back to, because we had no system. The system was me responding to charts when I got around to them for something that today we manage by nurse-driven protocol, right? Now, that, that's not Einstein's leap of relativity to figure that one out. That's just straightforward. Here's a simple problem. Here's an algorithm. Let's take somebody who can spend time on this at a fraction of the cost and manage a population of people's items. Now we think about it as, as commonly as the sun comes up in the east and goes down in the west, but it was just as true back, you know, in the turn of the century when I was still managing everybody's coding, because that's just what you do. So the question is, how many things are you doing today because it's just what you do? 
rather than what you should do, what we should do. And those are the questions we have to ask ourselves if we're going to get through this. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. We, we, we just don't ask ourselves the right, the right questions. We're creatures of habit and we just get into the routine of doing things and, and, and we just say, that's how we've always done it. Right. Right. The tyranny of the status quo. That's right. So, so on that note, um, Dr. Rose, if, if we were to approach you, the young Dr. Rose 20 years ago, you know, um, and we know that we, we need physicians involved to help us improve healthcare. We know that that's a given. We also know all these complications that we've talked about. How, how would you suggest um, a group that wants to drive improvement to engage the physician? Is it about giving them some time back of their day? Is that a way to get them involved? So in other words, uh, by helping them improve the world that they live in today, maybe giving them an hour or two back of their day, what, what are your thoughts or opinions on that subject? Well, I, I do think it takes time, right? So I think particularly um, when organized as health systems or as groups of a certain size, you have to carve out some time to be able to do this. But because I think it really begins the group, it, it has to come from the group's culture. And, and the group has to understand that systems problems need system solutions, right? Because as the groups get bigger, there's going to be a natural tendency for greater individuality. And so now great opportunities for that to be in terms of diversity and how we think about our problems and so forth. But we can't, you know, denominate all of the information in whatever currency we happen to choose. I do it this way. He does it that way. She does it a third way and, and expect some kind of consistency and performance. No other endeavor on the face of the earth works that way. I don't know why we should be um, of the belief that, you know, medicine, you know, should be different. Uh, so I think we have to start by saying that there are gonna be certain things that we as an organization, whether we're a four provider group or a 400 provider group that are going to fall into the systems domain and what are the systems we're putting in place to manage and monitor these things. And what kind of time do we need to commit to that? Or non-physician providers do we need to have to run those systems so that we can all contribute to what we do best, right? If I can take away some of that busy work, um, you know, maybe Dr. Mason's able to do, you know, another procedure a day. I just make something up, right? If I'm able to take away some of this, maybe um, the echocardiographer is able to spend a little more time and thought reading through the echo to really help, you know, advance the care rather than just sort of get through the inbox as quickly as possible, right? I mean, the end of the day, it really has to be around what is it that we're trying to do, right, through our efforts. And so I, I think organizing that and having beginning with a conversation at a group level that this is important stuff and we cannot solve system problems by heroic individual efforts because the heroism part will ultimately fail because we're human and we can't sustain that, um, you know, indefinitely. We just can't. 
I completely agree with you. You know, one of our principles here uh, at Baptist and our Baptist management system, our improvement system, is the principle of systemic thinking. And uh, we like to think about that principle often. But one of the things that has been I've been really enlightened to uh, is we've been spending some time this year with uh, Dr. Edgar Schein. And uh, he's really informed us how healthcare is really the most complex socio-technical system that exists. And that much of healthcare is based on this transactional relationship, which allows a lot of risk to occur. Uh, so I, I was, I'm really encouraged that you keep on talking about systems. That's obviously on the forefront of your thinking. Uh, how about the socio side of the system? Because it's very easy to get absorbed in the technical side. Uh, I know uh, for me personally, it is. Uh, what, what, what are some of your thoughts on the socio side and how some of those interactions and relationships need to occur in healthcare? Well, that, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think it goes back to culture. I, you know, just, um, it, you know, it's funny you mentioned Dr. Shine. I, I'm just pulling up a sticky note I've got on my computer. Organizational culture, a pattern of shared assumptions that groups learned as it solved its problems of external adaptation and internal integration that has worked well enough to be considered valid and therefore to be taught to new members as the correct way to perceive, think, and feel in relation to those problems. That is like the best definition I've ever come across of, of culture. And I think when, and you know, so Shine is absolutely brilliant and has made so many fundamental contributions to this space. I think that when when we talk about systems, right, many of us immediately go to, well, I don't have to think anymore. This is going to be cookbook. This is going to be wrote. This is going to be the antithesis of why I went into what I want to do. And I think it should be anything but. And this is where it comes back to answering your question, Skip, around, you know, communication. Because it, it, it all comes back, once again, to culture, right? The group, you know, sets what it is, you know, um, what you permit, you promote, right? So if you permit individual variants and echo reports that are done nine different ways by nine different providers, you're, you're promoting that as an organization, right? So at some point, the conversation really has to get back to organizational values. You know, we, we, we speak to three things in Sanger Heart and Vascular Institute. We talk to serve the patient, because at the end of the day, we, we are human beings taking care of human beings. It's about the patient, his or her family. That's what we got to do. The second thing, again, since we're human beings taking care of human beings, is care for the caregiver. And nothing has, you know, put the emphasis on that more than getting through the pandemic. But the wellness work that your organization have started well before this, you see the dividends of that as you get into when you're really getting tested through pandemics. But even outside of that, medicine is, you know, is, is just a very, very difficult field for, for so many reasons, um, you know, incredibly consequential. So we need to care for, for one another. But the third is really identify and implement best practice. What's the best way to do this? Okay, I know there's 10 ways to do it. Can we get it to three? Can we get it to two? We don't need monoculture necessarily, but we can't have free jazz, right? And then if we've decided <laughs> that these are the ways to do this, 
Well, let's implement them across the board, right? Because why not? It, it, it's maybe it's better, maybe it's cheaper, maybe it's better patient satisfier, whatever that it is, it's of value. Now, again, the danger of this is what we've said today is the best might not be the best tomorrow, right? And how do we know that? And so we, we've got to maintain our inquisitiveness. We've got to maintain our commitment to wanting to do it better. Um, you know, if, if we don't, you know, I mean, we'd still be using leeches as primary therapy. Right? Well, well, Dr. Rose, we, we come to an end, but wow, it felt like uh, that 30 minutes was five minutes. I, I can't oh, yeah. tell you how much I love your passion, your, your thoughts. You've obviously thought on much of this. Uh, uh, just really, really, you've been a tremendous encouragement to me personally today. And I hope that you'll come back on the podcast. Uh, I love your your drive on we've got to improve healthcare and it's not going to improve itself. You know, we've uh, but we're going to have to do that collectively, you know, in, in a system, because right now um, what we're doing today will not be good for the future. You know, and so thank you so much, Dr. Rose, for your time. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for your energy, your thought leadership. I uh, just thank you so much for your time today. Well, Thanks thank you for other. having me on and, and, and thank you for having this podcast. I think that uh, efforts like this are really fundamental in helping um, bring about change. And as we know, such change is needed. So thank you uh, again for the opportunity and, and for and for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.